John Stott, longtime pastor of All Souls Church in London, England. He was there for over 50 years, uh, pastoring the church, and uh, there's a big, famous church there um, in, uh, in London. And he knew a thing or two about preaching, and so when he set about to write a book about preaching, he entitled it this. He entitled it, Between Two Worlds, The Challenge of Preaching Today. He saw that the main role of a preacher is to, to bridge the gap between one world and another world by, by taking the ancient text and bringing it into modern day relevance. He, he said this, he said, it is across this broad and deep divide of 2000 years of changing culture and more still the case of the Old Testament more than 2,000 years, that Christian communicators have to throw bridges. There's the ancient world, and here we are today. You've got to throw bridges and, and bring them across. And our task is to enable God's revealed truth to flow out of the Scriptures into the lives of men and women today. And of course, you know the difference between the ancient world and, and our world is, is vast. Travel. They traveled by land on horses and chariots. And, and we travel right by air on planes or 55 mile an hour cars. They explored the new world or different places with ships at sea and we explore new planets with spaceships. They communicated by mail. It took months to arrive. And we communicate via the internet and measure our delivery time in milliseconds. Their libraries consisted of scrolls written by hand, and our library is the internet, which is at all of our fingertips, and like doubles every year, just in size of how, how broad and fast it is growing. Yet, it's interesting, as big and as broad as the Bible is, and as long ago as the, uh, the, the text was, as big as the gap is, it's amazingly relevant because it speaks to our heart. Because the heart of man hasn't changed much in these 2,000 years. We are just as wicked today as they were in biblical times, and we need a Savior today just as bad as they needed a Savior back then. And, and so it has caused even one uh, preacher, Brian Chapel. he talks about identifying the fallen condition that is the same in them and in us because that's always the same, fallen condition but there are some cultural differences between our world and the world of the Bible that need to be bridged to bring the Bible to application today. I mean, like, think about this, okay? Go back into Paul's day, and I just simply ask you this. Uh, how long since you went to temple to pray? Uh, how long ago was it the last time you fasted on the day of Yom Kippur? How many Jewish people do you know who are keeping the law? In Paul's day, many. In Jerusalem, almost everyone. When was the last time you spoke with a Jewish priest? I mean, these are the, the sorts of things that we need to, to bridge. But here's the question for today, okay? When was the last time you thought about circumcision? Probably not very often would be my, my guess. But the Jews, by the way, thought about it often. Because it was their membership into the covenants, they thought. So if you haven't done so already... If I should open up to Romans chapter 2, our text today is verses 25 through 29. 
you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 940 in your, in your pew Bibles. And though our text today is only five verses, 24, 25 to 29, ten times he speaks either of circumcision or uncircumcision. And that's a lot. It's twice a verse, almost. And so as I read this text, I want you to, to just, just think and evaluate, just, just hear and listen for circumcision. Kids, in your notes, I want you to circle circumcision or uncircumcision. Romans 2, 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision... But break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And here's the question, right? Why did Paul bring circumcision into these verses? I mean, why is he all of a sudden talking about circumcision? Well, the answer really goes back to verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. That's when Paul turned his argument toward the Jews. Chapter 1 was talking about the, the pagan Gentiles who had no law, no sense of morality, but because they knew God in creation and rejected Him, they're under sin. And beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul addressed the sin of the moral person, maybe Jewish, maybe not, Maybe just a, a natural good guy, if you will, who, who knew enough of what God required righteousness-wise that he was able to judge others. But in his very judging, he then was judged himself because he demonstrated in his conscience that he knew that God had standards in which to live by. But in chapter 2, verse 17, he now addresses and turns to the Jew. He says, if you call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, this is the mindset of the Jew. They call themselves a Jew. They're proud of that. They rely upon the law. They boast in God. The Jews took pride in their heritage. I'm a Jew, they say. And they would trace their lineage back to the days of Abraham, the one that God chose to bless. And God chose Abraham and his lineage to bless. And thus, I'm a child of Abraham. I also am a chosen one. The Bible just affirmed that. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasure's possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you're His treasured possession. You're the chosen people Israel. I mean, listen to Isaiah 43, which speaks about how the Jews are the one nation of all the nations of the earth that God chose to love and cherish and guard and protect. Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. Just, he's pounding upon the Jews how, how cherished and how loved they are, indistinct of the other nations. But now, the Lord who made you, O Jacob, and he who made you, O Israel, says this, Do not be afraid, for I have bought you. And made you free, and I've called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not flow over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The fire will not destroy you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who saves you. I have given Egypt as payment for your life, 
and have traded Cush and Seba for you. But you are of great worth in my eyes. You are honored, and I love you. I will give other men in your place, and I will trade other people for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east, and I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold back. Bring my sons from far away, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Bring everyone who is called by my name, for I have made him for my honor. Yes, I made him. There's the way that God just cherished Israel. And so when the Jews say, I'm a Jew, and boast in their heritage, they had biblical grounds for that. But they also boast in law. They said, I have the law. That's what verses 17 and following are talking about. You can see it particularly there in verse 17 and 18. If you call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law. There are many times that, that we as Christians view the law with contempt. We say, oh, the law was so bad, right? It's this tyrannical schoolmaster. Right? It, it, was, it was the one with the ruler that would spank you and smash you. And we come to Romans 3 verse, um, verse 20. By what works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And we say, oh, what a bad law that was. Because we can't be made right with God through that law. And it's through that law we come to the knowledge of sin, which is the blessing. But the blessing is the fruit of that. It's the fruit of discipline. The discipline, the law itself, is pretty bad. But the law was a good thing that God gave to Israel. It made them wise and it brought God near to them. It gave them guidance. Listen to Isaiah 42, verse 21. It says, The Lord was pleased for His righteousness' sake to magnify His law and to make it glorious. God made the law glorious. And here's how it worked out with other nations. Deuteronomy 4. This is Moses. See, I have taught you laws, just as the Lord my God told me. So you're to live by them in the land that you're going to have as your own. Keep them and do them. For this will show how wise and understanding you are. And the people will hear all these laws and will say, for sure this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near as the Lord our God is to us every time we call upon him? What great nation is there that has laws as right as this whole law which I'm giving you today? In other words, as God gave them the law and they were able to live wisely and to understand and to pray and seek the Lord, there's this relationship. They called upon God and God answered them. The other nations would look around and say, wow, what a God we have. What a God they have that, that, that listens to them, that gives them wisdom and direction and guidance. And so the, the Jews boasted in God saying, I'm a Jew. I rely upon the law. Now, last week we addressed both those assertions my message entitled Religious Trappings. One was trusting in your heritage. And, and I just said this, don't trust in your heritage. Don't trust in the fact that you're a Jew. That's what Paul is saying. And to build a bridge from, from last week between us and the Jews, my exhortation was on the same line. I don't think any of you are saying, hey, I'm a Jew. But you might easily trust him by saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I take that name. Or you might rely on your religious upbringing or, or the faith of your parents. And I say this, though your religious heritage is a blessing, it will get you nowhere with God. Don't trust your heritage. My, my second point is this, don't trust your learning. Or don't trust in the law or, or don't trust your knowledge of the law like the Jews did. Don't, don't, don't boast that you got this corner on the truth. 
and that you can divide the scriptures right and you can apply it in all situations and that you have discernment. See, the Jews, though they knew the law of God and rejoiced in it, they denied the very thing that they professed to have by being hypocrites. My exhortation to you last week was this. Don't trust your knowledge of the Bible. Don't trust that you know right from wrong. Don't trust that you can spot error a mile away. Your religious knowledge, though a blessing, will not get you very far with God. And my third point that I didn't get to last Sunday was simply this. Don't trust in your religion. It's really the next step in in Paul's argument. The, The Jews said, I'm a Jew. I rely upon the law and I am circumcised. And by application, I'm taking the circumcision and just calling it religion. It's, it's, it's what they were doing. They were trusting in their religion. So what I'm doing this week is really preaching part three from my message last week. Here it is, don't trust in religion. And we're going to take that, make that the title of my message this morning. Don't trust in your religion. It's really fundamentally what the Jews were doing with their circumcision. Circumcision was a sign of their religion. It was a sign of the covenant. It was a sign that they were part of the covenant community of God. And here's the problem, is that they were trusting in it. As if their religious efforts of circumcising their young boys were sufficient to bring them to God. That's what they thought. And the application comes to us in this way. Don't trust in your religion. I don't think any of you are in danger today of trusting in your circumcision, but you might be in danger of trusting in your baptism. Right that time there when I was baptized. Or you might trust in your dedication. You've been dedicated to the Lord. Maybe some dedication, self-dedication that you did, some, some promise that you made. Or, or maybe you're trusting in some prayer that you prayed. Or, as some churches do, confirmation, right? That someone else confirmed you into the kingdom of God as a Christian. That's religion. Or maybe you're trusting in the, a hand that you raised when that preacher preached one time. Or in that aisle you walked or that card you signed. Don't trust in those things. Don't trust in those things. There are many people who do. And think that because they walked an aisle and prayed and the preacher gave them assurance that they will be with God in heaven... That's the confirmation they've received. That's the religion. And then they go on and live the way they want. And they are assured. Don't trust in your church attendance. Like, like last week, right? It's good, right? The, the heritage is good. And the law is good. And church attendance is good. But don't trust in your church attendance, your religious activities. Don't, don't trust in your participation in the Lord's Supper. Oh, it's good to, to take the bread and drink the cup because it points us to Jesus. But it's Jesus who is the Savior, not these things. Don't trust in these things. Or don't trust in your religious achievements, maybe degrees you've earned in school or maybe Bible knowledge or things you've memorized or plaques you've received. Don't, don't trust in that. Don't trust in uh, your commitment to some religious programs, say like Awana or Bible Study Fellowship or small groups or youth groups. All good things and all helpful. And I would encourage you to absolutely be involved in those, but don't trust in them. They are means of grace. They are means to get to grace. Don't trust in your involvement in, in good Christian social programs like the Pregnancy Care Center, Rockford Rescue Mission. By all means, be involved, but don't trust don't trust in those things. Don't trust in your religion. They are, they are good, well-intended, but they oftentimes can carry some trappings. We can easily come to trust the stuff we're doing. I'm a pastor. 
I'm a pastor. I know the Bible. Don't trust in your position in the church, your role in the church. Don't trust the stuff you're doing. Did you notice a lot of these things have to do with what I did, right? I, I was baptized, or I, I walked that aisle, or I did that thing. Just like circumcision. Circumcision was a past event. Something that happened to them as if it would merit their standing before God. I just think that that's what verse 25 through 29 are talking about for us today is don't trust in your religion. Okay, so let's, let's pick apart the text. Okay, here's my first point. Circumcision may be of value. It's exactly what verse 25 says. I'm just pulling the verbiage there. For circumcision <coughs> is indeed of value. My point might be, right, circumcision is of value. And so all these things that, that I've talked about, right, baptism and praying a prayer and confirmation and raising a hand, walking an aisle, church attendance, Lord's Supper, commitment to the... They're all good, okay? They are of value. I mean, think about how the value of circumcision, right? God gave them the sign of circumcision. This was from God. This wasn't made up. This was from God. Back in Genesis 19, Abraham's 99 years old and God appeared to him. As for you, Abraham, you shall keep my covenant and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep. It's interesting that in Genesis, when you talk about Abraham and the covenant that he's supposed to keep, much of it is just, I've, I've chosen you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to serve you. Those who bless you, I will bless. I'm going to give this land to you. You're going to be a father of many nations. Abraham, as many as the stars of the, the sky, so should your descendants be. And he saw them. He just believed that. He's going to be a father of many nations. He says, keep my covenant. It's like, well, what's there to keep? He gave them one sign to keep. You shall be circumcised. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. This is Genesis 17, 10. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It should be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He was eight days old. Among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money from a foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought in with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So there it is in the flesh. Removing the foreskin, a covenant forever. It's an everlasting covenant. Genesis 17, verse 13. And then there's a warning. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people as he has broken my covenant. And so God says to Abraham, you keep this covenant. You circumcise all your males in the eighth day. You bring them in everlasting. You, your sons, if you bring in slaves or servants or, or foreigners, you bring them in, you have them be circumcised. You circumcise them. And if they're not circumcised, let them be cut off. And this has lots of implications, like, like you read Genesis chapter 34, when they looked to dominate Shechem, you know, they, they said, well, we can't dwell with uncircumcised people, so they ordered them all to be circumcised, right? And, and then Moses, when he was disobedient to this, is like Zipporah, right, got, got angry with him, and rightly so. But circumcision was this sign, and continues to be their sign. They took seriously Genesis 17:13 that is an everlasting covenant. It didn't stop with Abraham. It didn't stop with Isaac. It didn't stop with Jacob. It didn't stop with Moses or David or any of the prophets. The Jews 
right through Bible times, continued to keep this covenant. Sometimes they didn't even do this. And how hard is this? Eight days after a child is born, a, a son is born to circumcise it, but they didn't. But Saul was there, Paul, Timothy, John, all the Jewish disciples were circumcised in this way. And, and they still keep this sign today, Jews do. The babies aren't circumcised right after they're born in the hospital. Some may be Reformed Jews, which means liberal Jews. Okay, in Christian circles, Reformed is a conservative thing. In Jewish circles, Reformed is a liberal thing. Reformed Jews may be in the hospital. Yeah, but, but most Jews wait eight days. They have a little ceremony. Whereas one nurse told us that the poor guy gets his pencil sharpened. And um, the Jews, listen, have taken seriously these words. That a male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin should be cut off from the people. He's broken my covenant. I mean, for the Jews, the circumcision was a sort of a membership sign. And if you didn't have this, this membership sign, you were despised. Do you remember the days when David was in the Valley of Elah and he, and he went out to check up on his brothers and then he heard about this big giant named Goliath of the Philistines who was defying Israel and challenging anyone to come and fight like a man. And David, despising him with all his heart, said that he would strike down that uncircumcised Philistine who taunts the armies of a living God. That uncir- I mean, that was like a, a swear word, if you will. Someone who's uncirc- that uncircumcised Philistine, I'm going to go at him. The uncircumcision demonstrated he was just out of God's plan and despised and forsaken, should be cut off. That was the disdain the Jews had for those who were uncircumcised. Listen, right? circumcision is a value, but my point doesn't say circumcision is a value like verse 25 says. Because after that, Paul says if. And indeed it is a value if you obey the law. So I just said this, circumcision may be a value. It's a value if you keep the law. If you don't keep the law, obviously it's not a value. Right? If you obeyed the law, circumcision is a value. If you don't obey the law, circumcision is of no value. In fact, that is really my, my second point. That's what he's getting at in the second half of the verse, right? But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now, do you have any idea how shocking that statement is? Circumcision becoming uncircumcision. David becoming Goliath. A covenant member becoming an uncircumcised Philistine on the condition if you break the law. You're not a law keeper. So, so what, what God is saying is, okay, we got, this, we got this covenant relationship, this sign between us, but if you break the law, I don't, I don't care what sign you have. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't give you any value. In fact, you, you might as well be as an uncircumcised outsider, stranger and alien to the covenant. Now, obviously, that cannot happen in the flesh. Right? It's not like you begin to grow back some skin on the male organ, right? It's, it's not like Pinocchio. Kids, you remember him, right? The wooden pulpit who became a real boy. And, and you get what, what happened to this little boy when he sinned, when he lied? What happened? His nose would grow. Right? When he sinned, there, there was a change in his body. 
And that's a bit of what the illustration is of what Paul is giving with circumcision, right? You, if you break the law, circumcision becomes uncircumcised. If you lie, your nose grows. It gets bigger. Some, something changes. Now, of course, it's only an image because nobody has this happen. It's not physically they happen. But the image is a powerful one nonetheless. The Jews, thinking that they have God's favor because they have this sign, and actually, they're standing there with empty hands. They think they got this ticket, and God says, well, you break the law, no ticket. You, you think you remember someplace, and you break the law, and the doors are shut. You're not there. And that's why circumcision may be of no value. And now the, the application right here, the way we've set this up, is just right here on the on the lower shelf, it's low-hanging fruit, right? All you got to do is present, replace circumcision with religion, and you get the point, right? Religion may be of value, and religion may be of no value. Your baptism may be of value. It may be of no value. Your confirmation may be of value. may be of no value. Your walking the aisle may be of value. It may be of no value. The same is true of church attendance or some kind of religious achievement or commitment or activity or programs or outreach. They may be of value or they may be of no value. It all hinges on what? Like last week, right? Hinges on your faithfulness to the Lord. Whether you're genuinely trusting in God, not in your religious things and your religious matter. Listen, right, there is value in baptism. There is value in standing before the world, giving testimony to the world of your changed life in Christ. There's valuing in participating in a picture of a cleansed life, being buried with him in baptism, right, being submerged in the water and coming out of him as if raised from the dead to walk newness of life. There's value in going through that picture to say, that is what happened to me. There's value in experiencing that. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Like the, the picture's there for all to see. The, the ritual has been established for you to experience. But all is for naught if you don't walk in newness of life. It's the very reality to which the sign points. In fact, every time I baptize someone, I always say this phrase here. They're coming up out of the water, walk in the newness of life. Right? Like, 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 like obey, right? Follow rightly after your baptism. And that's where baptism would be of value. Is if you're walking in the newness of life, if Ephesians 4.1, you're living in a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what, and that's exactly what Paul is talking about here, right? If, if you're being faithful, your circumcision is circumcision. If you're unfaithful, you break the covenant. It is not. Well, circumcision may be of value. It may be of no value, but thirdly, circumcision isn't physical. That's what verse 26 is talking about. So, if a man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? If, if verse 25 was shocking, 
this verse even the more so. I mean, circumcision was evident to all. You, you can prove whether you were circumcised or not. Just drop your drawers and be expected, right? That's, that's how it was. In fact, Timothy, being a Greek, Paul commanded him to be circumcised for the sake of the Jews. And, and maybe that conversation with, yeah, I was circumcised. No, you weren't. Yeah, yes. And they just took one doctor to kind of, yep, yep, he was. Titus was going to the Gentiles. There was no need. He didn't have him be circumcised. But what, what Paul is talking about here in verse 26 isn't human evaluation. He's talking about divine evaluation. Right? See, see, when God looks upon a person to determine whether he is um, circumcised or not, God doesn't look to the foreskin. He doesn't look to see whether that has been removed. He looks to a life. A few years ago, there was a viral video entitled, Why I Hate Religion but Love Jesus. Video by Jeff Bethke. Uh, how many of you have seen this before? I mean, okay, some handful of you. All you got to do is just search, you know, just write that down, Why I Hate Religion but Love Jesus. Um, is a, a poem, basically, he recited in a very engaging way as he kind of walked around. He's got, you can kind of tell, he's got, it's like a, a church cathedral kind of setting in the back of him. It's, it's, very, it's very good. And, and really, he's writing his poem about how many focus on their religion, but not on Jesus. Right? And this is exactly the same thing we're talking about today. The, rather than trusting in the religion, right, trust in Jesus. And he was, he was just smashing religion and just letting it open, saying, I hate religion. I just want to say a few highlights to, to see the whole thing. It's about four minutes long. But uh, he just says this, if, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Because the problem with religion is that it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Let's dress up the outside, make things look nice and neat. It's funny, that's what they do to mummies while the corpses rot underneath. One thing I think is vital to mention, how Jesus and religion are opposite spectrums. One is the work of God and one is man-made invention. One is the cure and one is the infection because religion says do and Jesus says done. Religion says slave and Jesus says son. Religion puts you in shackles, but Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus lets you see. It's the sort of thing why he said he hates religion but loves Jesus. It's powerful. It's powerful. But it really brings out this point strongly, right, that, that circumcision isn't physical. And you might even say it this way, right? Just replace circumcision with religion and let's put physical like with what ritual. Religion isn't ritual, right? In other words, right, it's, it's, not, it's not the rituals that God looks at. Oh, he's given us some. He's given us baptism and the Lord's Supper to, to point us to Jesus. But they are, they are pointers to Jesus. They are to get us to Jesus, they are not Jesus in and of themselves. And God is not looking at the, the rituals. He, he's not looking at right, some, some aisle you walked or some prayer you prayed or, or some certificate or attendance record or, or even some big church building you built or some big program that you were involved with. 
not looking to see right what kind of credits you've maintained or got. And that's where that's where um, this man just talks about being man-made or being God-made. It's not just looking at the human efforts. God's looking at something else. He's he's looking for obedience. He's looking for obedience to the ways of God. Verse twenty-six. So if a man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? All of a sudden you've got to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If, he, if he's uncircumcised, but he keeps the precepts of the law, isn't circumcision one of the precepts of the law? Yeah, so isn't by, by nature like... Okay, so obviously what Paul is talking about here is just whatever, living morality out or um, living righteously or living with the spirit of the law. Perhaps it it could be that, like in chapter 2 and verse 7, those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality is given eternal life, right? Seeking God the the way that he says, the way that he does, because many times in the law, though we might see it as this this just wooden thing that we can never climb, and indeed it is, right? The spirit of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and obviously, we can't do that. We can trust in God to aim in that direction and for his power through Christ to be enabled to do those things in some measure. And I think that's what he's talking about. So if a man, he's uncircumcised, so he's uh, whatever, some, some pagan, comes under the teaching of the law and comes under the teaching of God, and comes to love Jehovah God, and pursue him with his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and confess his sins, and, and go after God. He says, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circ- Will not God look at him and circumcised in his sight? See, a guy like Cornelius, who's a God-fearer, I don't know if he was ever circumcised, but he was a proselyte, perhaps, probably. But there, there's people who are, maybe haven't gone through all the church religious ritual, but yet still are, are right with God. Let me just say this, right? When you walk in obedience to the things of God, the religious things lose the value. Now, careful, it's not to ditch religion. Right? You may hear the title of my message this morning, well, if I'm not supposed to trust in religion, what am I doing coming to church? Am I going to trust trust here? Am I, am I need to do that? What if it's nothing? What about my Wednesday night program? What about volunteering my time at the missions agency? Why am I even doing that if I can't trust it? I'm not throwing the baby out with the, the bathwater, which, by the way, is where that poem goes, where he says, I hate religion and I love Jesus. Misses the fact that religion can be a blessing. He's just talking about the badness when it's not a blessing, when Jesus isn't in the equation. But when Jesus is in the equation, the religious signs and symbols that God has given us are of blessing and of help. So if you watch that video, if you do, just realize that maybe he goes a little too far. But in going far, he's making a point. And he makes a, a good point. But I would say this about you just saying, well, what's the use of all this stuff? This is exactly where Paul is going in, in, in Romans. So I look at chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> at the end of the day, <clears throat> he says this. The question that's on their mind. Okay, by the way, when you're reading Romans and when you come across a question, ask yourself, why did Paul ask that question? Because he's often asking the very question that leading up to it brings you to this conclusion. So, in other words, right, you call yourself a Jew, you're relying upon the law, you're relying upon circumcision, but that doesn't matter. It's not the Jewishness, it's not having the law, it's not teaching the law, it's not your circumcision. They're like, well, what use then? What advantage has the Jew, right? What advantage has God's chosen people? And he says, 
much in every way. What's the value of circumcision? It's much in every way. What's the value of religion? It's much in every way. And begin with for the Jew, right? Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were the ones given the Bible. God's chosen ones to have the Bible. So, so it's much. They're, Paul's message is not denying the benefits of religion. He's not saying it's all bad and to hate it. But I think it's just use it in its place. I mean, like, like for instance, right? Take, take one of these plants. This is a nice plant. Thanks for getting the poinsettia, whoever did. 298 at wherever. Okay? This is great if you use it for what it's used for. But if I use this for a seat, how is that going to happen? It's going to squash and go away. It's not going to help very much. And so like religion, there's blessing in it. There's teaching. There's help. There, there's signs. There's the ordinances. There's guidance. There's direction. But it's all leading to someplace. Your point set is not a chair. And the law isn't the path to righteousness. But the law is an expression of, of love to God and how to live and walk that way. So you, you just need to know that, that religion isn't ritual. Or as we've said here, right? Religion, circumcision isn't physical. Fourth point, And I'm going to zip through for some of you kids who've been paying so well, so good attention. Point number four, circumcision may bring judgment. Because when you're circumcised, all of a sudden you identify yourself, I'm part of the people of God. Or it may be church attendance may bring judgment. Here I am, I'm part of the Christian church. Romans 2.27, Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. So you have two people, right? One is uncircumcised, and the other is circumcised. The one is a a keeper of the law, okay? And again, you got to catch the spirit of, of everything, right? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, walking in obedience and submission to the covenant. Even though he's uncircumcised, walking as a covenant member would be, but here's someone who is circumcised and has the law and doesn't do what it says. And God says that this one will condemn this one. The one who doesn't have the law, is uncircumcised but keeps it, will condemn the one who has the law but doesn't keep it. Really, again, this this verse just gets at the heart of the passage. Jews, you think you have favor before God because of your circumcision, but it's made no effect on your life. It, it hasn't had the effect that it should have had. And here, the Gentiles who don't even have the law are doing better than you do. Listen, you're a sinner. You need a Savior. Sure, the Gentiles are bad. All you got to do is read chapter 1, but there can be some really nice Gentiles. And there can be some people who come under the hearing of the law and follow there. But there can be some really nice Gentiles also. You, you probably know some really nice non-Christians who are humanistic, but gracious and kind. Absolutely. And those are people who are going to judge, rise up and judge church-going religious people. Now, how this judgment actually works out is a, is a bit of a mystery. It, it, it may be that, that the Lord will bring the Gentiles in as witnesses of when they're being tried, the Jews are being tried. Hey, you, oh, yeah, come here, whatever, Gus. Gus, come here. I want you to just tell me about your life. Tell me, tell me what you did, right? And that they might be a witness against them. It, it may be that way. Matthew, 
Jesus seemed to indicate that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something better than Jonah's here. Right? They only got a little bit, a taste of God. They just got Jonah. But now Jesus was here. You rejected Jesus. You had all these blessings. I was here. I did miracles among you. You rejected me. And these guys who repented just a little bit are going to rise up and condemn you. That, that may be real, like people on people coming. Or Matthew 12, verse 42. The queen of Sheba, of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You remember her story, right? She, she was the queen of Ethiopia, and, and she came up all the way just to hear about Solomon and, and to, hear, to see his, his riches and to hear his questions answered and was just amazed and floored, but she made a great effort to come and travel and hear these people. Jesus came right onto their lap, and they didn't believe but she came from a far way. She's going to rise up at the judgment and condemn the Jews, condemn those who refuse to believe in Jesus. That may be how the judgment goes. Or it may be the judgment simply the examples that are given to the, the Jews, right? When the Jews are standing there before God, God says, listen, I gave you everything and you squandered it. And I gave these people nothing and they cherished it and they loved me and they served me. Picture the tax collectors or the sinners, right? Or, or the immoral women who loved to come to Jesus. What did they have? They didn't have all this godly heritage. They, they didn't have it. Or, and, but what they had, they, they used and saw God. And, and these Jews who have immense privileges rejected. Luke 12, 48, right? To him who has been given much, much will be required. And the Jews were given much. And if you're given much and squander it, Be judged, because your religion may bring judgment. Your circumcision may bring judgment. Well, let's go. Lastly, All right, circumcision is of the heart. Verse twenty-four and twenty-five. This is what he's getting at. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. This is shocking, what he's saying here. It's, the, it's, the Jew, it's, it's not an outward Jew, right? You're not the, not the Jew by the sign of the covenant. Your circumcision-ish doesn't make you a Jew. In fact, even being a son of Abraham doesn't make you a Jew. We will see in Romans chapter 9 that it's Isaac or Ishmael. No, it's Isaac is the children of the promise. What about Jacob and Esau? No, it's not Esau. It's Jacob who are the sons of promise. That even it's not even the children of the flesh or the children of the promise, but it's God is the one that, that brings a child of the promise. It, it's, so it's not mere outward. I mean, Ishmaelites can claim all they have, all they want, that they are, are their true children of God, but it's through Isaac that your descendants shall be named. And so likewise with Esau, but God says, I love Jacob, and Esau I hated. Esau was off. It was Jacob. And so likewise, that God, Romans 9, we're going to see that, that in the same way, right? It's not all who profess are there but it's children of the covenant children of the promise it's not merely this outward thing but a jew he says verse 29 is inward and circumcision is a matter of the heart inward and outward covers everything but he says here in verse 29 it's a matter of the heart by the spirit not by the letters praise is not from men but of god 
And now you might think, hey, is Paul changing circumcision? Like, like um, Genesis 17 gave circumcision, didn't speak anything about this heart stuff. Maybe he didn't speak about that because you remember in Genesis 15, two chapters before, Abraham already believed. So he was giving circumcision to a believing person. But the whole idea, though, is circumcision from the start and the concept of the law, it's circumcision of the heart. Always is how it's been that way. Deuteronomy 10. Here's a warning to Israel who's straying, perhaps. Moses, in his preaching his last sermon, says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all the peoples are to this day. And he says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Circumcision there, it's of the heart, it's not the flesh. He says, the, the flesh doesn't matter, it's the heart. Or, or Deuteronomy 30 verse 5 and 6. And this is the end. Okay, this is one of Moses' final sermons. And this isn't so much a commandment, this is a promise. It says, The Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possess, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Look at that. God is the one circumcising the heart, cleansing it, taking away to be pure so that you would love the Lord your God, that you may live. That is what um, circumcision is about. It's what the Old Testament speaks about circumcision being about. It's what Paul is just picking up on circumcision. But how easy is it? Is religion, right? When, when classes start or when, when confirmation, that whole history came to be, oftentimes, right, they start with good intentions, but eventually you look down three, four, five generations later to church, oftentimes they become mere ritual. And, and, and the, the whole sign has lost its meaning. And Paul's bringing us back to the true purpose of the sign. It's a, a circumcision of the heart. It's a, it's a removing. It's a crafting. It's a heart that is soft before the Lord. And so you say, what does that circumcision look like today? Well, we can think about our fighter verse this week that some of us will set our hearts upon. Are we teaching our families and teaching our children? If you confess, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess our sins... If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there it is, right? There's confession of our sin to God. And it's knowing complete cleansing and forgiveness. It's not the things we've done. It's merely confessing to God, agreeing with what I've done is sin. God, I know it's sin. And believing and casting ourselves upon Jesus. And it's the blood of Jesus' son that cleanses us from all sin. And that's what we're talking about here with circumcision of the heart. It's a, it's a heart that now is soft and moldable and pliable. And that's the one that receives his praise not from men but from God. Not doing the things that man has done but trusting in God for all that he has for us. Is a religion, is it good? Certainly circumcision is good in every way. However, if it's just the mere external ritual, it's useless. But if it brings us and draws us to Christ, it's where it is. But the whole purpose of this section, as we end chapter 2 today, 
He says this, are, are you a sinner in need of a Savior? The Jews, they, righteous though they think they were, they needed a Savior. And we're coming soon to chapter 3 and verse 21, the righteousness of God being revealed in Jesus. And we can rejoice that in Him is where we have forgiveness of sins. Where we're made right, where we can stand before God, not by the things of our religion, but by grace through faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us at Rock Valley Bible Church not to trust in our religion, God, but to trust in the gospel of Christ. May we be eager to preach the gospel. God, may it go forth from our lips to those who don't know Jesus. I, I pray, just even as we think about a, a Christmas Eve service in, um, in a couple of weeks, God, may you put on our hearts and our minds those who might be willing to come, who need to hear the simple uh, message of Jesus told in a simple way, um, God, need to hear of, of Christ. So I pray, God, that you'd even bring unbelievers here, that you would transform them um, by that. May we be eager to preach the gospel to them. And God, may you open eyes and hearts. And, and for all of us who have religion, God, may we not be trapped by the heritage or our learning or our rituals that we do. God, because it's all about the heart. So may you keep Rock Valley Bible Church there about the heart of the matter. We pray in Christ's name, amen.